welcome back to But Why Though the Podcast, and today we're covering a Christmas movie classic, Die Hard. As always, I'm Kate, and here with Adrian. Hey, how's it going? And Matt. Hello. And yeah, I'm not leading this episode because I think there are like multiple episodes where I explained that I had never seen Die Hard, but I have seen two of them now, or like one and three quarters of them. So now I can talk about it, and Adrian can lead us through this. Yeah, uh, we're going to talk about Die Hard because it's Christmas time. And my intro question is, I think, a point of contention with some people when it comes to Die Hard. But just very simply, is Die Hard a Christmas movie to you? Yes. I don't know why apparently it's being brought back if people are saying it's not, but it is. And it always has been. And it's always been the best Christmas movie. I don't care about your damn reindeer. I got Bruce Willis in an air vent talking to the dude from Family Matters. What about you, Kate? Carl. I think it is. <laughs> I <laughs> I think it is just because I think when whenever you set a film in a holiday setting, that becomes that film. Um, like there are some like debates whether or not like is this a film that is embodying the holiday or is this a film that's set during the holiday? But like every Christmas movie is just something set on the holiday. Like a Christmas prince is just a lady meeting a prince on a Chris on Christmas. So I think by those standards set up by Hallmark and a lot of Netflix now, Die Hard is most definitely a Christmas. Yeah, the argument that I see against it is like, well, this could have happened any time, but so the majority of Christmas movies. But I disagree because this dude's a cop in New York. Why? What's going to go over to go visit his wife across the country during Easter? Like, no. Like, that only, this is only going to happen during Christmas. Uh, so I think it has to happen during Christmas. And if it doesn't happen during Christmas, then you don't get him like wrapping a gift, uh, a gun to his back, or yeah. like, ho ho ho! Now I have a machine gun. Like that, that that doesn't work at any time other than Christmas. And funny enough, like the second movie is also in Christmas. So basically, it has two Christmas movies. Um, in the series so for production history it's kind of weird just because like this isn't it's it, it's an action movie with stuff goes boom and john mcclain like runs around so it's not like a i don't i don't think this is going down in the film registry anytime soon <laughs> basically compared to some of the movies in there i think it should Maybe the first one. The first? No, Maybe I'm not. I'm not arguing for all of them. I'll argue for the first one. <laughs> yeah. So, and it, this kind of gets kind of like a weird-ish start, and then it just kind of rolls on from there. Um, so, when we talk about Terminator, there was a whole bunch of different things that kind of like went into it, where it was kind of just like a fever dream. This one, this series, is more of like adapting stuff and kind of taking what stuff already exists and adapting it to be an action movie where you can go and enjoy a bowl of popcorn uh, but it turns out pretty well for the majority i think of the movies so die hard itself is a series is an american action film series that originated with roderick thorpe's novel nothing lasts forever all five films revolve around a character of john mcclain who is played by bruce willis who is in one movie new york city cop and then another movie a los angeles police cop detective guy who basically continually finds himself in the middle of violent crisis and uh, intrigues where he's the only hope to against disaster. So he's like not a spy, but just kind of gets thrown into stuff. Not in the kind of same way James Bond does. Um, 
But yeah, he basically is just a cop. Like that's really it. He's just a cop. No superpowers. No. He's not even like no a high-ranking fe- cop either. Yeah, no, he's, <laughs> he's just he's literally a cop. <laughs> yeah. A cop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't have any like F one experience. He's he's not from the streets. Uh, yeah, he's just a cop. So nothing lasts forever. Basically, the book from Roger Tharp was actually made into a film in 1968 of the same name, starring Frank Sinatra, and was a box office success. When a movie based on the sequel called The Detective went into production, uh, which is basically kind of the basis of Die Hard, the studio was contractually obligated to offer it to Frank Sinatra to be the lead role. Uh, at this point, Frank Sinatra was 70, and die, getting at the time, the Die Hard's getting off the ground, and he turns it down, obviously, because do you really want a 70-year-old Frank Sinatra calling through a vent with a lighter uh, and jumping off of a building with a fire hose? Probably not. So... They change stuff around in the story, and then this, then Die Hard basically gets greenlit. When they are getting the the, the McLean to like when they're trying to cast McLean, they go through like a laundry list of actors until they get to Bruce Willis. So notable actors who were in the running who we may have had as John McLean: Richard Gere, Clint Eastwood, Burt Reynolds, Sylvester Stallone, Harrison Ford, Don Johnson, Nick Nolet, Nick Nolet, uh, Mel Gibson. Richard Dean Anderson, and even Arnold Schwarzenegger, all of them turned the roles down. Every single one of them turned it down and did not want any part of it. Um, I think just kind of back to one of our more recent episodes, Arnold Schwarzenegger turns it down because he's at the end of the uh, at the end of, at, by this time in like the late '90s, he's already starting to be a more comedic actor anyway. So that's why he turns it down. Everyone else kind of turns it down because they didn't really believe in the script and they didn't think that. John McClane was like a believable action hero. Um, eventually, they landed on Bruce Willis, who had already had experience playing a detective on a TV show called Moonlighting. But he also turned down the role initially because of his contractual obligations to Moonlighting. But accepted the show when the show went on hiatus for 11 weeks because there was a pregnancy um, in the female co-star who was opposite of him. Um, so he decides to go to do it. And then he gets a $5 million contract to be in the movie, which at that time was like the largest con like the largest payout for a movie star at that time. And despite paying him $5 million, the studio still didn't think that he'd be a big enough draw. So they basically like, didn't market him on any of the posters. They, they just had like the tower as the main staple, um, you know, and in the documentary movies that made us on Netflix on Die Hard, they talked about how people were laughing in the theater when they saw him in the trailers so they just didn't really market him too much, despite paying the dude $5 million to be in the movie. Uh, Die Hard also has Alan Rickman, who you may know as lots of things, but probably most notably for the no, the, the for the public is Snape in um, Harry Potter. He, the Die Hard was basically his first feature role. He started on Broadway, and it was another one of those things where there's like the directors and the writers saw him, and they're like, yeah, come do this movie that... We're not sure if anyone's even going to like, and he wouldn't have did it, and it turned out pretty well. And we'll talk about kind of uh, Alan Rickman's a uh, Alan Rickman's impact on the series a little bit later when we start getting to the why those. Um, that's kind of really it. I have for production history. There's like a lot of um, like nitty gritty screen rewrites and like writers changes and like all this other kind of stuff that's kind of that happens when you make movies. Um, but the movies that made us on Netflix, I think, will give you kind of all of that. Um, I just really want to talk about like the movies themselves and kind of how we go from a detective in a uh, tower 
vent to him basically blowing up helicopters and things like that by the end of the series. So in case you haven't seen Die Hard or if you don't remember which Die Hard is which, especially because the newer movies stuff kind of gets a little bit crazy. And even when we were talking about doing this episode, you couldn't remember which one was the fourth one, and which one was the fifth one. Uh, I'm going to do a quick recap on like what, what they are. If you are interested, and I hope we do put this in the show notes, there's a punk rock song that summarizes the first three movies when the fourth movie was coming out. So there's not like a fourth or fifth verse that summarizes them. But if you like punk rock music and you like Die Hard, there is a really good YouTube video um, of that. And if you are a patron and you have our show notes, I have it linked in here, and it's it's pretty good. It's playing in my head right now, and I'm resisting the urge to sing the song because it's really good. So Die Hard itself was released in 19, 1998. And it was directed by John McTiernan. Eighty-eight. Eighty-eight. Sorry, yeah, it was eighty-eight. They go back in time to do the sequels. Back in time to do sequels. Uh, so Die Hard was released in nineteen eighty-eight and was directed by John McTiernan. He is notable for Predator, The Hunt, uh, The Hunt for Red October, The Last Action Hero, Thirteenth Warrior. Two of those movies, of course, have Arnold uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. So makes sense that they did offer him the movie at the time. So this one's pretty straightforward. John McClane goes to his wife's Christmas party at the fictional... Goes to his Nakatomi. what? His wife's Christmas party? Christmas party, right? Christmas movie. Yeah, his wife's... Exactly, Good. yeah. They didn't go to, the, they didn't go to the, the Thanksgiving party or the Easter <laughs> party or the Halloween party. Although a Halloween party may have been pretty interesting for this movie, actually. Yes. But no, it's definitely one of those when people ask about it, I'm like, this whole movie revolves around a Christmas party. Yeah. I also yeah. would have been very down for a Halloween party. Yeah, where he is like dress up and like outsmart the the German terrorists. That would have been kind of cool. Let's let's rebook it. Let's rebook it. Um, yeah, so it goes to his Chris, Christmas party at the fictional Nakatomi Plaza, and German terrorists take over and are attempting to steal bearer bonds. And John McClane intervenes to save the day. Very basic, but very good. There's a bunch of quipping and action, practical effects. Alan Rickman being Alan Rickman. Bruce Willis being Bruce Willis before he like gets grizzled and shaves his head. Um, pretty good movie. Very, very enjoyable. And it's definitely one of the best action movies there is. Like it's one of the best action movies. Then we start going into Die Hard 2. Um, and if you get Die Hard 2 and Die Hard 3 confused, this is why we're doing this. So Die Hard 2 was released in 1990 after basically the big commercial success of Die Hard 1. This one was directed by um, Rennie Harlan, whose notable movies are Nightmare on Elm Street 4. I think that's the Dreamcatcher one, if I'm not mistaken. Cliffhanger, which is basically Die Hard on a Mountain. I hate Deep Blue Sea. And Devil's Pass were, were his notable movies. So um, the second film takes place two years after the first, again on Christmas. John McClane is waiting for his wife in Washington, D.C., um, Washington, D.C. airport when the former U.S. military mercenaries take over the airport comms and basically do a bunch of demands. They want basically to free a Latin American dictator. Long story short, McLean stops them and blows up a plane like on a tarmac. Uh, this is when he's, this like, movie smoking a cigarette and like lights it to like watch the flame go all the way up to the plane. Yeah, it's it's more it's it's less uh, normal guy is affording terrorists and more of kind of like a big action flick. Which makes sense because you have the guy who did Cliffhanger doing this movie. So way more action. I don't think it's nearly as good as the first one, but still pretty enjoyable if you like, you know, popcorn action flicks where people light cigarettes and watch planes blow up. <laughs> <laughs> Die Hard Three 
isn't called Die Hard 3. It's called Die Hard with a Vengeance because for whatever reason, why movies, franchises like just to make their names crazy instead of just saying 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 or whatever the case is. You have Die Hard with a Vengeance in 1995. Uh, McTiernan comes back for Die Hard with a Vengeance. Now McClane is back in New York City, separated from his wife again. He's suspended from the police force and is a borderline alcoholic. A terrorist played by Jeremy Irons uh, threatens to blow up places in New York City unless McLean can solve his riddles based on Simon Says. Um, Iron is play- Irons is playing Alan Rickman's brother from the first movie. This is the one with Samuel Jackson. And basically the two of them have to stop the terrorist from robbing the Federal Reserve by the end of the movie. I did find out that there is an alternate ending to this movie on their special edition dvd basically like where simon wins and he gets and mclean gets framed and like thrown off the force and all this other stuff and then he has to go find him in russia or something like that so there's a whole other ending to this movie than what you actually get yeah it's kind of crazy i know this movie's underrated i know everybody remembers always first two and they always forget this third one exists but i actually yeah i I like this one more than the second one because it yes. kind of gets back to like the you know the whole thing that you're talking about, about what we'll talk about of like he's just a normal dude who kind of just gets thrown into this thing and has to stop terrorists again and he's not really blowing anything up he's just trying to like outwit people. He's hung over the whole he, movie. Yeah, yeah, and Samuel Jackson is pretty good because yes. it's Samuel Jackson being Samuel Jackson running around with uh, with uh, Bruce Willis. Uh, I know Kate, you you've are in the process of finishing to watch this. You're, you're basically done with the movie. It, it kind of ends as you would expect it to end. But what are your thoughts on I this I love one? it so much. <laughs> like, I loved it so much more than I thought I was going to love it. Like, just, like, it, it's it's really good, specifically the way Samuel Jackson and Bruce Willis, like, interact with each other. Because, like, Bruce Willis is clearly the brawn and not the brain. Like, he strategizes but he's not going to ask what's 21 from 42 and he's not going to solve a riddle or anything like that. So it's really cool to have Samuel Jackson step in and do that piece because the entire time, like Samuel Jackson plays the trope that I really, really love in action movies, which is the, why am I here? I do not want to be here. (laughs) You keep trying to get me killed. Please stop, man. And so I think that works really well, and I think the film overall, I'm I'm an hour and 40 minutes into it-ish, like as we're recording, it's on the screen in behind us, because I knew I needed to watch it, um, and I just really like it, it's really well done, it's really well paced, like I'm surprised by how much I liked it, and I'm sure this is what Adrian was expecting me to say, but Jeremy Irons is really hot in it, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so I told you to watch that one, <laughs> not the other one, because... <laughs> Also, yeah, whenever I, I recommend really dire high, movies, so yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that too. <laughs> I, I yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> so no, but no, I do really like this one. I actually forgot that this one was made. I guess because there's a giant gap or whatever, because there's that five year gap after the two year gap, and I think people sleep on this movie. Um, but no, I do like this one more than the second one. The second one's the one I always forget happened. I remember very. I've seen it multiple times, but it's one of those, like, it doesn't stick in my brain the way this one does, or the first one. Yeah. So, if you want an even bigger gap, Die Hard 4, a.k.a. Uh, Live Free or Die Hard, in 2007 comes out. You know, and we and start trying is... to, like, bring back our great childhood feelings, apparently, so we're just going to bring everybody back. Yeah, basically. Uh, and this one is directed by 
um, Lynn Wiseman, and his basically contribution to film is Underworld. Um, And that's basically like all he does. But you have the Underworld director. Waterworld. (laughs) This is true. Also better than a lot of the stuff that the second guy did. So it's 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 good. Um, And this one is takes place on Independence on Independence Day. So we're not doing Christmas no more. Now we're on Independence Day. So I'm saying like there, if we do more of these diehard movies, we're just gonna do one on each of the major holidays and just call it that. Call it one of those kind of movies. Uh, this happens a decade after Die Hard 3. McLean, again, divorced, now estranged from his daughter, who's played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Um, cyber terrorists hack into computers. If you if you haven't got it by now, like terrorists is a big thing for Die Hard. Lots of terrorists all the time. <laughs> hack into the computers at the FBI, who sent McLean in to bring in computer hacker, played by Justin Long, for questioning. Um, assassins hired by the terrorists try to kill Bruce Willis and Justin Long. Basically, the terrorists are actually in the middle of a fire sale, which is a crippling cyber warfare attack on the national infrastructure, power, public utilities, traffic, and other computer-controlled systems. Although the terrorists capture McLean's daughter, McLean, and Justin Long's character, McLean ends up foiling the criminals and saves all the hostages and like reconnects with his daughter and wins the day. Um... I like this one more than I thought I did when I was trying to remember which one this one was. I think it's more interesting to have him like pair up with Justin Long and again be the why am I here guy um, and him just being like, what is a computer? How do computers work? What is a cell phone? Is basically what he does throughout the entire movie. He just wants to like shoot stuff. The only thing I don't like about this movie is this is the I believe this is the one like where he shoots himself in the shoulder to kill the the terrorist, but he they bleep out the yippee Kaye uh end part because 2000s movies aren't made the same the way that 80s and early 90s movies are basically um i'm trying to i'm trying to look it up and see um what the rating was to this movie but now i believe i believe it's this movie that does it i can't remember if it's this one or the obviously the last one no it's the it. next one that's the worst one and no i'm talking about like your 15 or below metric yes uh, but no i was gonna say Obviously, this one I don't think it's that bad, but I do. Yeah, it definitely the the EPKA blink uh, sensor is one of the worst parts of this entire franchise. And I don't care. <laughs> yeah, uh, have you? you don't, yeah, yeah. You haven't seen this one, right, Kate? Yeah, I, I think it's. I don't. I think it's better than people get it credit for. I mean, if you like Justin Long, if you like Bruce Willis, this one's actually main, not rated as main ba- ter- bad, to be honest. I, I wanted mean, to watch it because of Justin Long, because I love Justin Long. But yeah. I took me. It took me twenty-seven years of my life <laughs> to watch the first Die Hard. So here we are. So holla at you in your forties is what you're saying. Exactly. Then I'll finish <laughs> Did the you franchise. Watch I do want to go see two though. I do want to go back and watch two because three is really good, and Matt said that two is also good. So I'll take that metric. I like three more, but two is still good. Yeah. So then you have Die Hard Five, aka A Good Day to Die Hard. It's and this one is This one is directed by John Moore, who basically his only real big movies, and these aren't even like big movies, but like the movies that I thought would be recognizable to people when they heard it. Behind M- Enemy Lines and Max Payne. Um, I forgot Max Payne was a movie, but I totally saw that. Yeah. I've totally seen it. The best part about that movie is the soundtrack. Ever that you could care less if you ever watch it. Yeah, that's basically how this movie works uh, because it's very complicated. And I tried to like summarize it as best I could, but basically 
McLean's other kid, because in the first movie we see that he has two kids and we don't know where the second one is until now. Uh, he has another kid and who is arrested in Russia for murder. McLean goes to the courthouse to basically pick him up. Uh, Russian terrorists, because again, terrorists, but this time they're Russian, so it's different. Uh, I mean, you can track have... America's enemies through these films, or like enemies and <laughs> yeah. bunny quotes. Like you can, you, yeah. can, you can check who's the American boogeyman. Yeah, you had the German terrorist, then you had the American terrorist gone rogue, then you had cyber terrorists. Now you have Russian terrorists. I don't know what you would do in the next one, but probably something, something terrorist. Um, they bomb the building. Blah 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 blah. Chasing everyone gets away. You find out that it turns out that his son who is played by Jai Courtney, is a deep undercover CIA agent trying to stop terrorists just like his dad. But this time, he's an actual CIA agent, so it makes more sense that he's actually starting to stop terrorists. Uh, basically, the terrorists want weapons-grade uranium for nukes reasons. A uh, bunch of betrayal stuff happens with side characters. Basically, too many characters in this movie. A bunch of betrayal happens. At the end of the day, the father and son win, and they reconnect, and like they kind of like walk off into the sunset. Like I think, literally, I think they just like walk off at the end of the movie. If I remember, <laughs> they just like walk off. Um, yeah, this one is garbage. Is pretty bad. There's a bunch of explosions. The plot is too crazy. There's like betrayal and, and things like that. Like it's it's just too much. Like I said, we much. go from New York City cop to just kind of run around the city. Like we get in the third one to whatever the hell happened in this movie. Yeah, this movie uh, is there- awful. <laughs> It's 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 not very good, and we'll look at the ratings here like, in a second because it's one bad. Just makes sense because they specifically ask for John uh, John McClane, and it's because of the brother stuff. So like that at least makes sense as to why he's doing something that's like this and not like direct thing. And this is like uranium world domination. Like oh, this is very different. Now ba- basically, the first three actually go very well together for the most part, and then you can clearly see the shift of obviously times because there's a twelve year period between the third one and the fourth one, and it just they go. To, I don't know. I know the fourth one's not that bad, but it, to me, it's still hard. To, it these go from a hard like rated R movies from like the nineties to like PG thirteen movies, and it it's kind of hard to watch, especially if you watch the first ones, and especially like the third one, as you said, like. They drop a lot of F-bombs. They say a lot of language. They kill a lot of people. And then it turns into, we can't even say, the, the famous catch line in the entire fourth movie. I just love yeah. the third one because that like, blonde-headed lady just like cuts everybody up. <laughs> yeah, I don't even... I don't even remember if they even say it in the fifth one. I don't think they do say it in the fifth one, to be honest. Which has got to be really weird, especially for people who are with the franchise for so long, just because it's like, this is iconic. Because I have never, I hadn't seen Die Hard for so long, but I knew that that was the catchphrase that went with Die Hard. Like, I understood that. Or I understood that whenever a TV show like Brooklyn Nine-Nine did a reenactment of Die Hard or did a parody (laughs) episode, that was going to come up and it was going to be bleeped, but you know what it was going to be said. And if it didn't have that and a white muscle shirt, then it wasn't a Die Hard thing. So, that's got to be really weird to watch. Yes, it was. Because yeah. this is also one. This is also one of my mom's favorite franchises. Yeah, because cool. he like. Because I'm, I'm trying to like watch like a supercut of him saying it, and like he kind of says it in four, but he's like yippee gunshot. So like he he grunts it as he's shooting himself. In the there was supposed to be a six movie slash like. 
television prequel thing, but it never gets off the ground. And it's essentially like one, it shouldn't happen anyway. Like we don't need it. But also because of when Fox got taken over by Disney, it scrapped that being made for the television series, basically. So no way they did one good thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you are one of our patrons in, of course, we'll have the kind of reviews of the movies and their box office performance. But if you look at Die Hard, Die Hard on Rotten Tomatoes is a 93 percent. Die Hard 2 is a 68 percent. Die Hard 3 is a 52 percent. Die Hard 4 is an 82, and the Die Hard 5 is a solid 15. It's also one of those to see because the first three are obviously made well before Rotten Tomatoes exist. So it'd be interesting to actually look at those reviews to see, like, how many people watched this in 2019 said, oh my gosh, I could not stand myself to watch this movie. Um, So Yeah, and if you look at box office performance, I mean, the movies don't do terribly with the exception of fifth one does pretty bad comparatively but they all do pretty decently and overall across the five movies it's made 1.5 billion dollars which is you know a release of a star wars movie is that adjusted that's adjusted for inflation correct i think that's just straight oh straight money oh that is straight money. That's was... not, not even adjusted for inflation never mind that's yeah. gotta be making a lot more money then that's a yeah. lot without inflation. If only this is the 80s. for inflation, but you know, Box Office Mojo hates us. I can tell you right uh, now, the fact that these the three movies, or at least two of them made, was it, $100 million? Yeah, all of them made, like, even at 1988 worldwide, $140 million, That's not bad to me. That's a lot. Like, that's got to be at least a good $600 yeah. million now, if not more. I mean, and Die Hard does it on a pretty pretty small budget. I mean, $28 million is still a lot, but comparatively no, to much. the rest of the franchise, it's... It's pretty yeah. good, considering it made $140 million worldwide. Moving on from there, we do have video games that I didn't know existed. Um, I don't, I didn't even know they existed. I think there's like 10 or 15 of them. Wait, what? Uh, yeah, I think there's like 10, like 10 video games across what the thing. What was ranging he doing from... in those? Were, like, were they at least just like, oh, this So is I remember the one game. for the NES, but that's about the only one I remember. Yeah, it's, it's basically a... Uh, in the, in the game, he's a it's a vent crawling simulator. That's basically. I was I have really no idea, but they have games on the NES to the GameCube, Xbox One, PlayStation, and the PC. Wait, so there's a diehard one that we could play today. Yeah, yeah. That uh, and there's also mobile games if you want to play it on your phone. I guess there's. I didn't even know these existed, but they are in existence. There were video games. I, I knew think, the one from the know. NES existed, but that was it. And that was a long, 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 long time ago when they made yeah, games I, and everything. I did not know there I, was that many, and I definitely didn't know they all the way went to the GameCube and Xbox, original Xbox, and then, like, PlayStation. I didn't know yeah. we made it that far. Yeah, I was also very surprised. Um, I would have liked – I mean, I think it would have been cool if they did – I mean, by that, this time, arcades are dying, right? But if you had, like, an arcade kind of like in the mode of Time Crisis where you get to, like, hide behind stuff and kind of shoot stuff, I think that'd probably be I thought Time Crisis just game. was basically, like, arcade version of Die Hard. Yeah. For comics, there is there was a comic run Not in 2009. In, in 2009 with Boom Studios. They announced that they'd be releasing an ongoing Die Hard comic series that would serve as a prequel to the first movie. Uh, it's a story set in 1976 and follows John McClane as a rookie cop in New York. 
eight issues were released, and it's basically what the TV series would have been based on if they would have released it. I'm kind of glad we didn't get the TV series, not going to lie. I just, yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Like, I don't know who'd play, like, I don't know who I would believe to play a young John McClane in the early 2010s. You Gordon, Gordon Lovett? No, we're not, we're not, okay. <laughs> I mean, we're but moving, we're has... moving on. We're moving on from that. But he this has. True. I'm not wrong. Yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. Stop booing me. Yeah. I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So from there, we can kind of get into some of the but why those. Um, again, full disclosure here. Like, this isn't like Terminator where it's an action movie, but it does crazy things with cinematography and things like that. It's basically a different action movie that kind of changes the genre going into the 90s. Um, and my first but why, though, is that it's not a original. All of the movies except for one are not original ideas. They're basically adaptations that were turned into something different and adapted to be action thrillers in the summer. So Die Hard, like we talked about earlier, is adapted from the 1979 novel Nothing Lasts Forever by Roger Thorpe. Die Hard 2 was adapted from the 1987 novel 58 Minutes by Walter Wagar. Rhaegar? Rhaegar? Rhaegar. Die Hard with a Vengeance, Die Hard 3, was adapted from a script called Simon Says by Jonathan Hensley. Die Hard 4, Live Free or Die Hard, was based on a 1997 article, A Farewell to Arms, written for Wired Magazine by John Carlin. It also drew on a script 20th Century Fox owned called WW3.com which dealt with a massive cyber, terror attack, cyber terrorism attack against the U.S. and was nearly put into production in 2001, but was ultimately abandoned because of the September 11th attacks. Interestingly enough, the only original screenplay again is Die Hard 5, which is might be the worst, or is the worst of the series and might be attributed to the fact that it was just its own movie and they didn't have anything to kind of really go off of, which probably hurts it a whole bunch. Um... The other materials don't basically do the source materials scene for scene, but they do change major elements to make it work. And I think that's um, a pretty good job on the people who are making the movies part. So in Die Hard, the protagonist, the protagonist in Thorpe's original story, Joseph, uh, Joseph, Leland, Joseph Leland, who John, who uh, Frank Sinatra plays, is a retired police officer who is unhappily divorced like John McClane. Um, but he's trying to save his daughter instead of his wife. And instead of an old grouchy cop, they went with a younger, more quippy cop with John McClane. Uh, and again, imagine Sinatra calling through air ducts and saying, Kippy Kaye, uh, in a movie. So making that small change of changing the cop to a younger, quippy cop really changes the movie in a big way. Die Hard 2, again, was based on the book 58 Minutes in 1987. And. Basically, this movie in the book, he takes out a group of terrorists in an airport, but the plane crashes before his wife gets there, which is a little bit darker. But in the hands of director Haney Harlan, it becomes bigger, louder, more violent and considerably more expensive with a budget of 70 million and costs twice as much as the original. Still makes a bunch of money, but there is a distinct change from making it just like a cop who or a cop who watches his wife die in a plane to a bigger, louder, more explosions and lighting a cigarette and saying, yippee and throwing a thing to blow up a plane. <laughs> Die Hard 3. These films are 
Bubbles are so ridiculous when you explain them just as they are. Well, yeah, you can do that yeah, with yeah, pretty yeah. much almost any 80s film at this point. Like, I think people have their yeah. entire I mean, brand made fair. off of this stuff. I'm not picking on Die Hard. It's just like, <laughs> if you describe an 80s or early 90s movie by the most basic of their plot, it is absurd. People had Definitely pet rocks. Is. They were. This is advanced for them. Bruce Willis really <laughs> wants to get a bunny back. That's Connor. <laughs> <laughs> that was okay, Nicholas Cage. Nicholas, thank Nicholas you. Nicholas Cage really wants to get a bunny back. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Simon says for Die Hard Three was written with the young action star Brandon Lee in mind, which I thought Kate would like. Oh, yeah. The script was picked up by Warner as a possible was actually picked up as a possible fourth Lethal Weapon movie, which is presumably why you have those uh, the the two main characters in Lethal Weapon heading to New York, but. Instead of doing it the way that Lethal Weapon does it, they change it a little bit. So instead, the story was retooled as another McLean adventure, which would explain why the movie feels somewhat different from the previous movies. McLean's um, fast-talking partnership and kind of like back and forth with Samuel Jackson's Zeus's Juice Carver was actually she was that character was actually supposed to be a female in one of the drafts. Would, but they change it to feel more like the lethal weapon relationship and it just comes out to be a better thing because I don't know how that movie works if you change Samuel Jackson to like a yeah. female lead um, and then just turns into kind of like a city sprawling violence which is different than what we have in kind of like the close encounters that you have in Die Hard different than the big explosions you have in Die Hard 2 so there are some changes to it to make it a more actiony action flick, but still pretty good because they take the basis of that uh, buddy cop type relationship. It's not even really a buddy cop relationship. It's more of like a I don't even know what you call that, like a love hate banter relationship. It's a cop relationship. Friend me relationship. It's a relationship. Me stuck in this situation. Stop trying to kill me, John McClane. Relationship. <laughs> yeah. So Die Hard Four. I don't even remember the actual name of the movie. Now that I'm Live saying it, I'm getting Die Live free. Live free. <laughs> Live free or die harder. The fact that die harder has not become a name has actually been one of the weirdest things of this franchise. Right? It fits. <laughs> die hardest. <laughs> die most harder. I'm also like, I, I didn't look this up, but if you remember back to our Fast and the Furious episodes, Japan has like better titles for their movies than, than we did. So I wonder if there's like die hard titles. I'm gonna look it up. Die hard. Die hard plane action. Uh, I don't know. So die hard for is probably the closest to the source material. However, there were two other scripts floating around for Die Hard 4. One, I mean, this kind of goes to the point, like both were actually called Die Hardest. Both were written by Ben, I can't pronounce this guy's name, Triple Cook, but both were rejected. One was set in Tokyo, where McClane's son worked for the Nakatomi Corporation, and the other was set in the Caribbean. But they didn't go with either of those. Uh, even though I would have liked to see McLean be to shoot up ship shipwreck. He could have been a pirate. Ship terrorist. Yeah, he could have been a pirate. But they didn't go with that. They went with like the cyber terrorist route and kind of went with that whole cyber cybersecurity part. Did you find did you find our answers, they're Kate? Not Please tell me. Names, but they're the weird names. They're so good. Uh, so Die Hard in Germany was released as Die Slowly. Oh wait. Greece was <laughs> That's so dark. Greece was released as very hard to die. Norway was action skyscraper. Accurate. And Poland was the glass trap. 
That one sounds classy. Yeah, that's a classy. And that, then, it all it all sounds very on brand for each one of those. And then in Spain, Die Hard Two, Die Harder, was Die the Jungle Two, Red Alert. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. They're at an airport. I know. They're not even in the jungle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance in '95 is Die Hard Mega Hard in Dead. <laughs> I like, I like that. Die Hard Mega Hard. Live Free or Die Hard was Die Hard 4.0, the most expansive of your life in Hungary. Yeah, I, I think that's what, like it was when I was doing the research for this. It was kind of like the also known as Die Hard 4.0. Like, why not just like Die Hard 4? Yeah. Um, uh, but also, like at this point, with them doing live or die hard with a vengeance, if they would have done die hardest for the fourth movie, I think that would have even felt yes. off. So it's kind of just, what uh, are you doing at and this then point? Finally, a good day to die hard is tough nut to crack. A great day to die, Lithuania. <laughs> is that even a line in the movie? <laughs> what is that? But I just, I, it's 33 American movies. The list is uh, 33 American movies with hilarious foreign titles. Interesting. This is I so like that. Good, by the way. So right, well, Die Hard, f- Die Hard Five, the last one, had an original screenplay, but like it doesn't really because it still takes some influences from previous scri- previous scripts. So the idea that McLean's son teaming up. Or McLean teaming up with his son again emerge from Die Hard Four, yeah. so it's like kind of sort of original, but the early drafts were darker. In it, in the darker versions of it, McLean's son was actually killed, and McLean heads up, hits up like Moscow and Afghanistan and all kinds of stuff to find out who the culprit was. So it turns into a more of like a revenge action film than a kind of like father-son thing which might have been better um i don't know i think i think that would have been cooler because then you get a kind of different version of john mcclain than what we get in the fifth one yeah and i'm not sure like if Die Hard five just does bad because they just kind of go over the top with it or because they don't really have too much to base their movie on because if you kind of look at all of the adaptations they're basically the same with like minor changes and this one's just like hey we're just gonna do whatever we want and John McClane's going to ride out of a helicopter in a tanker. Oh, you're hurting me. So <laughs> is this Fast and the Furious? Because that sounds uh, like Fast and the Furious moves. Yeah. Yeah, but the sad part yeah. is it goes way over the top, but then it goes into like very like... I don't want to say neutered, but it's just like so toned down in general. Like we talk about it being too dark for that, but like then it get to like I don't know. Just I guess I watch the older movies and like how much you see like what goes into the other ones versus they can't even say yippee ki yay motherfucker in the movies. Like, yeah, and there's also boobies in the first movie. Yes, there is. Um, PG thirteen movies is very interesting. Because I understand yeah. people going from PG-13 to going to R, but, I mean, it's the same problem I have if you go from R to PG-13. I guess, to me, once you set your tone, this is what we're going with. Yeah. And I guess it's also one of those you can change right there, but if you're trying to change, like, we already have three established hard R movies to two other movies that are... I think the fourth one is R. I'm not 100% sure. The fifth one I don't believe is this. 
I don't think diehard fours are. I don't think I, I don't, can't think of it. I don't remember I mean, if, it if is they can't it. say that would have been their one f word. Yeah. I think if that's what I'm saying. Like I don't remember if it is or not. Um, I know it's if it is, it's like very like close. Yeah, PG thirteen. Yeah, that's what I thought. And I just don't like when we go back and forth. Yeah, three three is R. Samuel Jackson says fucking the movie. Two like is R. Times. One is R. Yeah. yeah, like I said, they go from R and like their hard R's to PG thirteen. I wonder like, oh, how many. A good Die Hard five is an R. Is it an R? I think that yeah. might just be from the the over the top violence. violence. Yeah, I wonder yeah. how many movies Samuel Jackson is in where he doesn't say motherfucker. That's something I want to know. I want to know that statistic. Star Wars. Okay, so one. Star Wars for one. Which is very disappointing, by the way. That's the only <laughs> thing I ever wanted from Star Wars. And I didn't. Rise of the Skywalker's final scene would have been better with, get up, motherfucker. <laughs> but no, I, I, uh, I do genuinely wonder that. Because the like saying, saying the F word, because I'm sure I've expended R's for this episode, um, or we all have. Um, that gets you an R rating super quick, and it seems like I only know Samuel Jackson as saying those words <laughs> in at least yeah. one sentence in his movie. It's his, it's his thing. Yeah, it's probably he's probably is contractually obligated to say it at least once in a movie. I, I wonder like. if he's like, I'll be in your movie, but I get the one F bomb. Yeah, exactly. So moving on from there, so you have these adaptations, but at the heart of it, it's still McLean being, at least in the first three movies, being a different kind of action hero that we're used to uh, at this point. So we talked before how Bruce Willis was far from the first choice for this movie, and the other choices for the movie were essentially your prototype action stars from the 70s and early and even to the late 80s. It went to Casting Bruce Willis really goes against that kind of masculinity that we see with Stallone and Schwarzenegger. Is it masculinity which is basically or muscularity? Muscularity. Well, muscularity, muscularity. I mean, they're different. Different. Yeah, muscularity. Yeah, muscularity sorry. can be completely different than masculinity. Yeah. So Does the muscularity. Have a lot of mass? <laughs> <laughs> How big is Bruce Willis? I think that's what I need. To, I don't think he's I as big as you think he is. I think he's tiny. I don't think he is either. He's gonna be like what five eleven? I'm gonna do like five. No, he is. Foot. He's six foot. Yeah, yeah which like, also isn't tiny. Like it's six not foot tiny, foot. but it's definitely not like compared to. I'm pretty sure the other two. It's not Adam Driver size. It's, it's not, not even e- Samuel Jackson size. It's not even Sylvester Stallone or Schwarzenegger. Who we should be comparing? Then, and I, I saw. Skywalker I was like, well, I know. I was like, what do you? Do? I was like, what do you? Doing? <laughs> I saw Skywalker this morning. And I mean, he's tall and broad. Stallone's not tall either though no Stallone's think, tiny but Stallone also has it I think but he's also jacked and on steroids exactly yes. <laughs> which is still the weirdest thing he's I don't not know if wide ever, this way he's wide this way which I don't know if we ever actually everybody ever wants to have that discussion that they fact that they found like all those steroids in the 75 year old Sylvester Stallone yeah how do you think he's doing expendables steroids well we know that but it was still like weird I don't know the history of Arnold Schwarzenegger with him, but I feel like Arnold wouldn't just because he's from another country, or he might use them more. I don't know, but I feel like... Have you seen how many times Russia's been banned from the Olympics? I know, but I'm just like... (laughs) What did you think they were getting banned for? Eating cereal? The the myth is even better that he, so he can get drop kicked and not moved if he doesn't use steroids. Well, to be fair, the sad part is whether he used steroids or didn't use steroids, he's still a big boy. There yes. was nothing like... Naturally. If he didn't pack <laughs> yeah. on all that muscle, he's still a big boy. Yeah, he is still, like, large. 
and in charge. charge. Oh, <laughs> we did it. We did it. Um, so, yeah, so you basically you have those two as kind of your big prototype action stars. And you still have even even past kind of like the muscularity of those two. You have, you know, the suave, cool James Bond action types. You have the you know Timothy Timothy Dalton in the late '80s, but you really don't have a everyday kind of classic Joe hero until we get John McClane. And <clears throat> if you look at him, I mean, I described him as a drunk and divorced multiple yes. times and estranged from his kids. Uh, I think it's not really about his size or stature, but I think it's more about his, the every like the idea of him being kind of like mortal and wisecracking, and somehow still is able to save the day. And I think more than this, he's just not kicking doors down and shooting people with shooting fourteen bad guys with a pistol that seemingly has unlimited bullets. Not yet. You know, he's sneaking. <laughs> not yet. He's like sneaking around in vents. He's although he's not like the intelligent guy he's still outsmarting terrorists with his knowledge of being a police officer he's cracking wise and he also like gets his ass kicked a bunch at least yes. in the first 3 films like he gets his ass kicked but he still is able to win out the day and it's hard to say that when you have you know Arnold Schwarzenegger hip shooting shotguns and Sylvester Stallone is Rambo James Bond in the suit getting all the ladies like it's it's a, he's a different kind of action hero yeah I mean and Which, that's something that they talked about in that thing that like the that like Arnold and Stallone and like the other action guys at the time didn't want to take the role because they're like this guy is not doing anything he's running away the whole movie and when he does yeah. do something he's getting beat and then he gets outsmarted by Hans because he literally has Hans and then Hans is like oh no this is this is a California accent. And, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and and so they don't want to take that, and that's why he got it, which I think is really cool because it's kind of like having di – like diversity comes in a lot of different forms, and Bruce Willis is a diverse action hero in a different way, which is really cool. And he also um, – my favorite part in Die Hard 3 is when he's hungover, and Samuel Jackson like, what's your problem? He's like, well, the first problem is I'm hungover. <laughs> Which I was gonna like basically the thing, um, probably why I like this franchise. This is like probably the only '80s like action franchise I actually like. I don't care for Tomb uh, Terminator. I don't care for Rambo. I actually hate Rambo. Rambo's terrible. Um, <laughs> I'll at least give a little bit on Terminator. I do not care about Rambo. Um, but no, because I just like that. I don't care for like the meathead muscular people that just kick down everything. I didn't mind him, and I guess. Him being drunk and divorced the whole time. I guess when you grow up with a crowdhood, where divorce is very common, uh, it's like relatable. you used to see, it's very relatable. <laughs> um, my parents, I you have? too, like twenty five. Yeah, just go through twenty five parents, you'll be fine. Um, but no, um, I guess I've always liked that about him. Especially, uh, he's not even a good cop; he's an above average cop. I mean, <laughs> His yeah. power rating yeah, is one point one, not one point five. <laughs> he's not even one point five. Yeah. He's not even Batman at one point five scale. He's literally like one point one. And literally, I think he's just fueled by alcohol and, like, stupidity half the time. And maybe I've been fueled by alcohol a lot of times in my life. But, I mean, <laughs> but, no, um, I like the difference of it. I don't like a lot of the 80s franchise. I mean, I do like James Bond, even though probably more of, like, when you go different, I guess, eras of Bond and whatnot. But I just, I don't know. I've always liked John McClane way over anything, Schwarzenegger, Stallone, or even any of the other, like, weird action stars of the 80s. 
I guess Kirk Russell wasn't bad, but still. You just like his hair. His hair looks just like my hair half the time, so it's fine. So we found the people that Matt sees himself in. A drunk divorce man who crawls around in uh, air vents and good-haired Kurt Russell. (laughs) Have you not seen... Kate never saw Escape from, like, Los Angeles. I know, and then I saw it, and I said, you need to dress up like Steak Puskin. And you were like, sure, and then it never happened. I know, and then I have to listen to everybody go, Metal Gear Snollet! I'm like, shut up. That's that's not what we're talking about here. You know where yeah. he got that from? Kurt Russell does a cop movie, doesn't he? Isn't it called like like Blue or something? I don't know. I think pretty sure Kurt Russell does a cop. But also, every man in the '80s has at least one cop movie under his belt. But it is weird because we do get this, and we also, as Adrian touched on, we do get Lethal Weapon. Um, obviously we compare it to the third movie, but like Lethal Weapon is basically two cops who are pretty much like a little above average who hate each other but love each other and just get beat up for five movies. Like, yeah. Jet Li just kicked the shit out of, like, Danny Glover and Mel Gibson for, like, an hour and a half. In the- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, they, I, but I think, I mean, Lethal Weapon's great. I love Lethal Weapon. But I think there's still better shots and, like, they do more kind of ridiculous stuff with their guns. While you have McClane, you know, being like... To a certain extent, he's he's kind of like a "Why am I here?" kind of guy too. Yes. Like he's just trying to go. Yeah, he's just trying to go he pick his wife to go up pick from his the airport, wife up. and then he ends <laughs> no, having to worry about whether they're getting team. divorced. Like I got to bring her chocolates. I got to wipe this alcohol off my breath. Like we can do this, guys. We pull it together for Christmas. Well, that's what I like about three because three is just like he has like I am here because they he made me be here. I don't want to be here either, Samuel or Zeus. I don't want to be here either. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he almost doesn't go to the Christmas party because he's like, I don't even want to go. And then he's there. So this to deal is with Matt. That. This is Matt if Matt was an action hero. Um, moving on from there, we have Hans Gruber as the villain. And so on this in this piece, I know Hans Gruber, like if you go through all the lists, Hans Gruber is one of like the best villains like ever in media. Um, but I think he changes the villain up a little bit in terms of the same, not in the not in the exact same way that Bruce Willis does for action heroes, but Hans Gruber gives us a different kind of villain in action, where you kind of like love to hate him a little bit because he's like so good in his role. This might just be Alan Rickman. This might be like what he does with the character, but the way that I see, it, I see Hans Gruber as basically kind of like one of the big affably evil villains we have in film, um, and affably evil is basically like your kind of. Well, I mean, so most villains you see, right, have, like, personalities um, or mannerisms that kind of underscore how evil they are. So, like, really, like, you know someone's evil because they'll go kick a puppy or they'll, you know, shoot people randomly or they'll do all this other stuff. But then you have villains who are considered affably evil and there's really nothing separating them from normal people other than, you know, they want to take over the world or they want to go rob a bank. So they'll invite you to dinner, they'll pet your dog, but if you piss them off, they might shoot you kind of thing. They're great. (laughs) Yeah, they're probably the best villains, to be honest. Um, And this is basically Hans Gruber. And to be honest, some of the other villains that we see in in Die Hard, you know, they're largely polite, intelligent, typically attractive, respectful to the hero, but again, won't hesitate to kill people. Like we see Hans shoot Ellis. Ellis deserved to die in the first movie anyway. Yes. Uh, But when he shoots Takagi because he doesn't want to give him, like, the access numbers to to the safe, you know, treating him very nicely until he knew that he wasn't going to get what he wanted out of him and then he shoots him and to like i just want to stress again like this isn't like this is a trope that we haven't seen like 
there was this thing before we saw Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber because you see lots of comic book villains have this kind of thing about them. But I think with the success of Alan Rickman as the affable, affably evil protagonist, I'm not sure if we get other notable villains like Deacon Frost and Blade, ha- Hannibal Lecter to some degree, Hans Landa in The Glorious Bastards, in the, even into kind of like TV, you know, Q and Star Trek, Gus and Breaking Bad, Captain Barbosa in Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, to some degree, the the greater good people in Hot Fuzz, uh, and even S- uh, Simon Gruber in Die Hard Three is basically more or less affably evil as well. Um, in in a lot of those respects. Well, I will say obviously we knew we had him in the comic book villain characters, and I think, and it, I guess for me trying to think because obviously thing, but like trying to think of movies that have these type of villains outside of even maybe James Bond, like actually in a film sense of like, I just don't know how many we have before this as well either. Yeah. I mean, because the comic book, we were already getting comic book movies every year the way we were back then. Exactly. Yeah. And then it's kind of, kind of what I wanted to kind of point because you do like, like you, like you mentioned, you do have some of them in, um, in James Bond, but James Bond isn't the same kind of action movie the way that Die Hard's like the same kind of action movie. At least the older one. You can, yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, and then you can even make an odd argument that The Godfather has a kind of the affably, affably evil villain, but it's also not an action movie kind of either, right? So we do kind of have those two big examples, but after that, we start seeing them more and more. And to your point, I mean, we do have them in comics, but I think after we see them in the movie, we start getting them more and more on you know the small screen and the big screen. So without the success of this, I don't know, I mean, Thanos, Loki, Magneto, Cell, Dragon Ball Z... Um, Shang Sun to some extent in Mortal Kombat. Basically, every Final Fantasy villain you can think of have this kind of traits that we see in well, Shang Hans Gruber. Up sucks out people's souls. So, like that is something yeah. that is show. Like he, yeah, he but he looks so good doing it. He's evil, but he does look. But he so looks good really good doing it. it. And he's like, hey, <laughs> bring whatever you want. I'll be very fair what you bring to this tournament. But just know, if you mess with me, I'm gonna suck your soul out. Oh. It doesn't matter well, what like you Cell. do to people. Cell's, you look Cell chills it. and like waits for an entire year for these people to train just so he can wipe the floor with them later on. As long as you look uh, good doing it, it doesn't matter. Exactly. Which brings you to my next point, where Hans Gruber basically starts like kind of the thirst trap we have for villains. Um, <laughs> because even my wife Stefani, when she's watching, she was like, whoa, is that Alan Rickman? Damn. I was like, I yeah, like, yeah, that's Alan I Rickman. I yelled at Matt. I was like, Matt! Is this really Alan Rickman? <laughs> He's hot. Yeah. But I don't have to listen to Harry Rickman. Potter people. I was like, Alan Rickman came from Die Hard. And that's also, what everybody yeah. knows. <laughs> I knew him. Yeah, so you... Dogma, Dogma's great, but I remember Matt Damon and Ben Affleck way more. I remember. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know if we get Thanos memes or things like that if we I... don't have a, an attractive Hans Gruber as a villain in, in the <laughs> early, late 80s. I also know for certain that if, if this came out, this year, everybody would be like doing as much thirst as they could for Hans because it no like at least like the last two Christmases when I've started to notice it, people have been doing like they're watching Die Hard for the first time, and there is Hans Gruber thirst, and it's yeah. great. And I I have a tweet ready once we're done recording, so I can be like, yeah, we recorded our Christmas episode, and my favorite thing I said was Hans Gruber can get it. Yeah. She's in KDL think... and she's like, that's really Jeremy Irons. I was like, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, Hans Gruber, the, Gru- the Gruber brothers. The Gruber brothers got it, for sure. I also 
and I don't. Like, it, it's hard to like what other villain. I mean, I guess I, I defer this question to you, Kate. But like, what other <laughs> villains up until nineteen eighty? What nineteen eighty eight? Do you have that you're like, damn, they can get it. Uh, so I can name a lot, but they're all from exploitation cinema, which is like they're supposed to be that way because it's the brand of exploitation cinema. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, from, like, big blockbuster stuff, I mean, I don't really think there are, because you have a lot, like, 70s, and so 60s has hot, hot, hot villains, but, like, 70s and 80s, like, leading up to this, I don't think so, because a lot of 70s and 80s villains are defined by, like, the, oh, no, scarring and disabilities make me terrible evil people and no one will love me trope as the villains yeah and then you have like hans gruber he's want to be rich (laughs) (laughs) and so like that also like i I do think that that does kind of start things but i also notably have a blind spot in the 70s and 80s so far as like open movies like or like big movies because I really just lean towards Grindhouse things for the 70s because I'm not a huge fan of a lot of that stuff. But, yeah. Or, like, outside. Um, so, yeah. I'm not the best person, I guess. I don't know. You tell me so, Jaws was not a great villain. <laughs> Jaws you, did sexy. you have thirst for what Jaws? About, what about Jaws Alien? Thick boy. Or Alien or Predator. <laughs> I mean, we got all the... Jaws was a thick boy. I don't know, man. Right. Oh, hold on. The giant marshmallow guy giant. in Ghostbusters. Also a thick boy. <laughs> uh, moving on to kind of my last, but why though that I have um, outside of like anything else we want to wrap up with, but basically this changes, again, like we said, changes action. And we, after this into the 90s and even kind of into the 2000s to some extent, you basically get Die Hard and an XYZ. Yes. So... The movie was an overwhelming success, obviously. It had substantial box office office earnings. So, obviously, this is going to make other studios want to do the same thing. And the formula is pretty simple. Like, all you need is a lone hero, an enclosed locale, a band of witty terrorists with hostages, a bomb, a chemical weapon, cool accents, and you're basically set. So, some of these movies are a success. Some of, they are, some of them aren't, but they're basically diehard in XYZ. So, just to name a couple of them, Die Hard on a Bus, Speed, in 1994. Die Hard on a Mountain, Cliffhanger, 1993. Die Hard in the White House, Olympus Has Fallen, and White House Down that came out in 2013, which is, I, I don't I don't know. One has Morgan uh, Freeman, one has Aaron Eckhart? Is that the difference? No, yeah. one has Aaron Eckhart, Morgan Freeman, one, or no, one has Morgan Freeman and Gerard, Gerard Butler. Butler. One has Aaron Eckhart and Jamie Foxx. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I couldn't tell you which one is which. Like, I don't know which one is the other movie. I only <laughs> but know you have fallen because I saw Angel has fallen. Uh, Die Hard in a Mall is basically Paul Paul Blart Mall Cop in two thousand nine. As oh, silly as that is, oh god, it's basically the same movie <laughs> yes, if you like get down to like the nitty gritty yeah. of it. Uh, Die Hard in a Stadium, Sudden Death. This movie is great. I want to talk about this movie. This is one of my favorite, all-time favorite movies. <laughs> it is not the greatest movie cinematography-wise, but you get John claude Van Damme playing goalie, beating the Penguins. You have the Bud Light commercials with the Penguins. Also, this is like the one movie, my first time I was ever in Austin, where we went. We were bored, and we went to a three-story Skolotskis and rented this movie from like a Hollywood video. Yeah, Jean-Claude Van Damme basically like is in a hockey uniform, roundhouse kicking people. 
in yes. the movie, essentially. So, it's say, it's ridiculous. You have a killer penguin. <laughs> my mom loved these movies. This is what my mom watched all the time. This is not even half of this. So is probably like me, but this is what my mom likes. And then I'm like, son, you're going to watch this because this is what I'm watching. My mom probably owns and has seen every John claude Van Damme movie probably like seven times. Bloodsport's really, really good. I love Bloodsport. Bloodsport. is I'm awesome. Watch it right now. So much of this is like so, me watching this. I'm telling you, my mom's like, son, we're going to watch this because I'm going to watch it. And you're just going to learn violence. Also looks really good for being how old he is. Yeah. That's what happens when you've been working out since you were like 12 and you don't stop. <laughs> like he is what Tom Cruise will be. This is, this is what I believe. Uh, and you have Die Hard in a Plane, which there are multiple of them. Passenger 57 in 1992. Also great decision. and also one of my mom's favorite movies. <laughs> in 1996. I, uh, I also want to th- <laughs> throw I've watched in... so many of these and my mom, this is my mom's brand. So she should have been on this episode at this point. <laughs> uh, also like want to throw in Snakes on a Plane, which is basically Die Hard with Snakes on a Plane. Because it's Samuel Jackson. Also, Con- just instead of terrorists, instead of terrorists, he gets snakes, and it's you know basically the same movie. Uh, Die Hard on a Prison Plane, Con Air, nineteen ninety seven. I've seen this movie so many times, like probably way too many. Because like every time that it was on TBS, I was watching it. I just loved it. I don't know why. I just really did, and I think it all came from Nick Cage's accent in the film. But did you see his hair in that movie? Great. Yeah, his his accent that kind of goes in and out yep. throughout the movie. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> uh, die Hard on the President's Plane with Air Force One. This is Harrison Ford. This yeah. also has one of the worst lines, and I can't even remember what it is. Like, oh, get off my plane or something like that. That's a fantastic line. <laughs> get off my plane. I also like it because of the, that uh, Family Guy episode where they do the flashback where he's, like, throwing people off the plane who are skydiving. <laughs> get off my plane. Um then you have Die Hard, but with The Rock, with Skyscraper t- 2018. Not terrible. Awful. Not terrible. Awful. Not, have, you, not, have you even seen it? Not, I saw it. enough because I knew they ripped off Die Hard, and I was like, I, I don't I've need seen this. It. It, it's literally Die Hard. It's just yeah, it's die, literally hard, die Hard, but it's anti-Die Hard because it's the largest man in existence being John yeah. McClane. But they give him a... They but give with him, one leg. They, get, they rip off one of his legs to make it even. <laughs> yeah, make it even, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, and there's also like plenty of others that you can think of. Um, and I think one of the other interesting thing here is that some of these roles in some of these movies, like we just talked about, are people are starring people who turned down the role of John McClane, like Stallone and Harrison Ford, just to name a couple. Like they turned it down, but then in the '90s, immediately went and were, were John McClane. <laughs> yeah, and I and that's kind of like like the legacy of this movie at the end of the day because anything if, if anything ever comes out from here until the end of time that features a average joe or just like a guy in the wrong place at the wrong time terrorists and him having to defeat them by himself it's basically going to get called die hard into something like we're probably going to get die hard in space and something hold on i'm going to google I, now I have to look it up is there a die hard die hard in space in, <laughs> die hard in space I mean, and if you really want to get like really down to it, the other Christmas movie that people probably put above Die Hard, Home Alone, Die Hard, but with a child protecting Judge his house Dredd. from robbers. Die Hard. <laughs> there we go, Judge Dredd. <laughs> I love Judge Dredd, but also Die Hard. Oh my god. See, Kate, you've been watching all these movies, and you just didn't want to watch the source material. 
Yeah, basically. I mean, you also I mean if you all you, have, you also have uh, Die Hard, but in Alcatraz. Oh, the yes. Rock. I love the, the Rock. The Rock. I love the Rock is an amazing. That movie is too. a really good movie. So there, there's, there's, there's a Die Hard for everybody. You just got to find the right Nick, locale. Nick Cage essentially. took the reins for a while. I mean, that's how this worked. Yeah, yeah. So that that's that's what I got, man. It, it's it's a fun franchise that has spawned a different kind of action hero. You know, changes like the prototype of what we think of an action hero to kind of be really anybody who works. And then Hans Gruber being a thirst trap and then a diehard in a thing is at the end of the day what what we get. And then we get, you know, the one quotable line that we can't even say in movies anymore. So what I'm going to say and look up real fast is because I'm pretty sure... Because basically, I feel like Wesley Snipes took over this role as well for a while there and did a ton of these yeah. movies. I know he's in Passenger mm-hmm. 57, but I'm trying to think. There was a two other ones that I'm trying to think of like, well, not one. I'm trying to think of like, what was Money Train? Money Train is technically the same thing. Buddy Cop action film starring Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson with Jennifer Lopez in, in there. Um... I mean, and he's also kind of relatively an uh, affably evil person in Demolition Man, kind yes, of. Yes, he is. Yeah. So. Because I knew, like... Also, I mean, and in the movies that made us, he interviewed for the part of uh, of What's-His-Face. So, like, you know, it, it all makes sense. It all comes together. It does, because I was like, I knew they had Passion 57. I think Money Train was the other one I was thinking of. <coughs> what and was then obviously... that one movie on Netflix that was really awful that had Shaggy? With the workaholics guys. Oh, I know what you're talking about. That oh, one is gosh. Die Hard with idiots. Yes, that is Die Hard with <laughs> idiots. Gosh damn it! That movie, I was, I was like, you know what? Let's see a parody of Die Hard. See if I like it. I didn't like it. Um, Brooklyn Nine Nines is actually so freaking good. Game Over Man. Game Over Man is Die Hard with idiots. It's one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Yes. So Wesley Snipes stars in to to get up here for his whole thing is he has Money Train. Obviously he had the villain of Demolition Man. He has Sensory Boiling Point, <laughs> Rising Sun, um Drop Zone. <laughs> and then he actually ends up playing in US Marshals, I believe. Every time I hear the words U.S. Marshals, I just think of Wild Wild West and U.S. Marshall. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, there is room to do I mean, you know, Die Hard, but a Western. Die Hard in space, I'd be down for. I'd be totally down for a Die Hard in space. Fantasy, but Die Hard. Yeah, Die, die Hard, with elves. but with elves. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, I'd be down for it. Uh, that's really all I got, like, man. Is, like, Technically, that's the last Boy Scout. Have you ever seen that? What did the uh, chicken say? Um, which is also Bruce Willis. I So, I genuinely think that there's a beauty in these kinds of action movies. Like, And I don't think Skyscraper hits it because it's so absurd and like giant and so much special effects. But like, there's something personal about action, about action movies like the first Die Hard that make things really intimate and kind of like a small setting. Um, also, like the ability to do it on like a smaller bu- budget or like a small-ish budget. But like, I appreciate about that, like 
from a lot of movies, but now that I've seen three, I definitely want to go. Well, I want to finish three once we're done recording, and I want to go watch two because I do genuinely think that like there's a lot in these diehard movies that make them kind of sit. Um, but I was talking with Matt before we started. The one thing that I worry about is like this formula of like containment like containment plus fight terrorists kind of gets disrupted when you add cell phones and the internet and so like because you always have like these really weird like in skyscraper they had to have taken them all down and like these weird things like these weird like story reaches but like watching like Die Hard 3 where it's like oh crap who's the 21st president and they have to rely on this random trucker who just so happens to know all these facts to give them the answer is a lot different than watching the movie now it's like oh well why don't they just google that they just need to find a computer and they can google that it's a different type of stakes because it's all inherently put into humans which is why i think i really like them and i'm happy i'm on the die hard train now so yippee die hard put on a train is there a die hard but on a train <laughs> i'm pretty sure there is there right so, somewhere actually there is and i'm uh, trying to think what hold on <laughs> Because I've seen that movie, and I'm trying to think what it is. I want to go watch Sudden Death now. That movie's ridiculous. The movie is great. So. movie is amazing. Under Siege is Die Hard on a Boat. Under Siege yep. 2 is Die Hard on a Train. Oh, okay. that's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, Masterminds is apparently Die Hard in a school. That's awesome. I don't know. I think once you, like, make yourself like that, you're that. Once you become, like, the skeleton for every other movie, I think you've done your job. Yeah, definitely done your job. And it's, hard. I think, hard to replicate because even though we have all these really good movies, none of them spawn, like, what this has spawned. None of them are making $101.4 billion over their lifetime. Um but I think it does leave open that avenue to do it. And I think what a lot of these other ones miss is kind of the comedy. Because to be honest, like Die Hard 1, 2, and 3 are, are pretty funny. Pretty funny movies uh, with lots of quips and things like that. And put just make sure you sprinkle in a little bit of comedy in my Die Hard in space. And I'm, and I'm there. 10 out of 10. Do you have any final thoughts, Matt? Um, so yeah, no, I've always liked the Die Hard uh, franchise. I think it's great. Um, I do think I'm with the Kate of like I don't mind watching them, and I do like a lot of like the the '90s stuff. And obviously, it's a very simplistic formula. I do add, think adding uh, cell phones kills a lot of stuff that we can do nowadays that I don't think people realize or makes everything overly complicated because it's like why don't you just Google it or make a phone call? Um, I don't like the sad part as much as this as you probably already learned from this, has been a genre that I've watched a ton of movies from. I don't care for them as much anymore, to be honest. I don't think they're as well made. I don't know if it's because they are. Like, Skyscraper, you think I'd be japing at it? I thought it looked awful, and I wasn't wrong. Um, it's not personal. It's... It's not, well, because you... Um, but no, like, I do think it's a genre that gets overlooked a lot in the 90s, and it do I don't like it. Um, I know they try to replicate it much. I don't think it's well done. It's a weird thing that gets looked over a lot in the 90s, and... It's sad because I think people just forget that the 90s exist a lot of times. They feel like they're in the 90s, but they don't. Um, so I've seen a lot of these movies. I enjoy them. Um, I always think Die Hard's a Christmas movie. I enjoy rewatching the first three. I'll probably never, ever attempt to go watch the last two, especially that last one. Um, I don't know. It's just... I don't know. But I see why people like them. I think we'll still get the formula. They're still going to make these movies... Obviously, they keep trying to reboot these franchises at this point, um, which is kind of sad. I'd rather just get new things, but 
we'll guess we'll see what happens moving forward. But I do. Now I'm glad Kate finally watched it. Um, this was one of the big contentions we had when we started this podcast was when Adrian and I found out that she never watched this movie, and we shamed her because you should be shamed if you've not watched this movie. Okay, not just the podcast, but like I would say something in just us talking about movies as two humans who live together and are together. He'd be like, "Yeah, we haven't watched Die Hard, so." Can I really take that taste into account? I was like, Ooh, I, I mean, got him. I'm not wrong. If the fact that they made a whole entire genre with Die Hard on X, Y, and Z, and the fact you haven't seen the original, I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it's basically required pop culture writing or uh, watching if you want to get references and stuff like that. At, at the very, at the very least, you should watch it just so you can see uh, John McClane say you be Kaye. Well, the Christmas party have a few laughs. That's all I got, man. Let's get out of here. <laughs> so, as always, uh, I think, yeah, y'all are listening to this episode on Christmas. Uh, so, if you celebrate, Merry Christmas. If you don't, Happy Holidays. Enjoy your time off. You probably really need it. I know I do. Um, and you can find our podcast at But Why the PC on Twitter. And if you want to support us a little bit more, head on over to patreon.com backslash but why though PC and you can find me on Twitter at Omen Mithrandir. I am only being slightly annoying with Rise and Skywalker. Adrian. Yeah, but you can find me on Twitter at SuperReese93 S-U-P-E-R-R-U-I-Z 93. Matt. I'm gonna go grab a beer. 